Anyone stressed by the holidays? Are they stressful? They can be. Did a little shopping in Grants Pass. The traffic was insane, right? And it actually was. Go into a store, there's just, there's no parking. You're like, you kind of circle around and finally you park out in the back 80. And then you get into the store and it feels like you're at an Antifa riot. Like, what? where did all these people come from? Then you finally get that prized possession and you get in line and it moves at the pace of the DMV. You're like, how can this take so long? And then you finally get up there and the person in front of you pulls out a checkbook. You're like, how, is, how do I always choose the wrong line? Like, it seems insanely impossible. Like, the odds of me always choosing the slowest line, I managed to do it. Stressful. We live in a stressful society. Do you know that? There's this guy, has, he writes a lot. He's interesting. His name is uh, Rob Leakey. And he says during his research that the average teenager today experiences the same stress that a mental health patient would experience in the 1950s. So we would commit in the 1950s, kids going through the stress and anxiety of what they go through today. How crazy is that? 50 million Americans, right? There's about 320 million of us. Take away kids, that's about 100 million. So 50 million Americans are so stressed or so anxious that they're actively doing something about it. So it could be they're on some kind of drugs or medication or alcohol or they're in therapy. They're do- that's how stressed out of a world we live in. So what do Christians do? We have, I think, one of the most appropriate and brilliant sections to launch a year to really live your life according to. It's Philippians chapter four. It's unbelievable to me. I could, I think, easily preach a month of Sundays on this. We're going faster than that, but you can go back and study and pray and grab a cup of tea and meditate on this little passage. It's amazing. So Philippians chapter four, verse one. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eudia and I entreat Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul says, beginning this little section, I think he says this, if we're gonna retrain our brain about stress and anxiety, then relationships are really important. And there's something you have to do in relationships if you're not gonna be stressed and anxious about them. You have to remember the good. So there's a couple of things in here you gotta tease out. First of all, there was this problem in Philippi. While it's a wonderful church, joyful church, all that, part of Paul writing this letter is because he'd heard this news that there was these two ladies and they were having a disagreement in church. You're saying, what in the world Christians disagreeing? Huh? Never, 
right? Can you believe that? Yes, I can, Matt. It happened on the way to church today, in fact, in the car. So what do you do? So Paul begins to address this, and this is what he says. He doesn't say agree with each other. He says, I want you guys to agree in the Lord. That's a different way to look at it. So a couple of days ago, I'm meeting with this guy, and we're talking about some things. And this is what I said to him. I said, I think being understood is overrated. And I should know because it was really important to me for a long time. Like you can ask my kids. I would make sure my kids understood my point of view. I didn't care how long it took. It can take all night. You will understand my point of view. So I'd win the debate, but I began to lose my voice. I just became the wah, 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 right? And I'm reading through the gospels about Jesus. And what I was amazed about Jesus is this. He would walk away from so many conversations being misunderstood, just not even caring. Like, okay, read Matthew 13. Like, he doesn't care. It didn't seem that important to him. And I began to think, this is kind of an idol in my life. And so I made a decision a couple of years ago. I don't care to be understood anymore. I care much more to understand. All right, fine. Let me understand where you're at. Man, it has been so healthy and so freeing. I don't care if you misunderstand me. It's, you know, you're going to misunderstand me. And I'm okay with that now. Let me help understand where you're at. So here's what he says. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, listen, you two that are having a hard time getting along, agree in the Lord. And if you can't do it, get somebody from outside to help you, right? You might need a third person to come in there and help you guys to agree in the Lord. Well, what does it mean to agree in the Lord? I think fundamentally it means if you're gonna have good relationships with people that are other Christians, you start from some things that we agree in and we're both citizens of heaven. We're both gonna spend eternity with each other. We should probably figure out how to do that right now. We both have been forgiven for things that we didn't do right, so we should probably forgive other people for what they haven't done right as well. I think that's what it means to agree in the Lord. I think it's coming back and remembering how good God has been to me. That when there's a disagreement with somebody, you just mark down everything that God has done for you. New mercies, forgiveness, citizenship in heaven. I'm a king, a queen in training, right? My eternity is secure. And you put that on all, all on one side of a scale and then you take whatever this issue is and you put it on the other side of the scale and you think, does it matter? No. No, I'm royalty. Why am I fighting over pennies? Forget this thing. I'm going to agree in the Lord. It's remember what he's done for you. Remember who you are. And remember those same things are done for the person that you're disagreeing with. But Paul takes it even better. Because Paul had visited Philippi. He started the church there. We talked about how that church was formed. It's Acts 16. He shows up starts to preach the gospel, and this demon-possessed girl starts to freak out. And she follows him around day one, screaming at yelling at him, right? Wakes up the next morning, comes out of his house. There she is, screaming and yelling at him day two. Wakes up day three. There she is, screaming and yelling at him. And so finally, Paul says, okay, that's it. Cast the demon out of this girl. She's set free. 
But her owners are ticked because they made money off of her. They liked her to be strung out and demon-possessed. So they get Paul thrown into prison. The jailer, not told to do this, beats the snot out of them, puts them in stocks, which is you would pull the legs apart as far as you can. There'd be all these holes in these two boards. And as far as you could pull the legs apart, you'd slam that board down so they'd be trapped that way. And then he puts them in the inner prison, which would be the lowest room in the prison. Well, there's no flushing toilets in prisons 2,000 years ago. So that meant the lowest prison cell was also the septic tank, right? Brutal. How does Paul remember Philippi? Does he remember all that stuff? Now look at verse one, because those are the people that make the church. The jailer gets saved. The girl gets saved. A lady gets saved. They're the founding members of the church. How does he remember the church? Brothers whom I love, my joy, my crown, my beloved. In relationships, you have a choice. You can choose to remember all the things that they've done wrong, or you can choose to remember the good stuff. When we choose to remember all the bad stuff, then that person becomes that bad stuff. It's called demonizing. Do you know that? They can't be anything more than that. They are not just, they don't lie. They are a liar. They actually become it. We demonize them. Paul made a choice when it came to his relationships. Man, number one, I'm going to agree in the Lord. I'm going to remember that we're brothers and sisters. We're going to spend eternity together. I'm going to pile that all up on one side and remember this doesn't matter. I'm not going to fight over pennies. And then number two, I'm going to remember the good things you've done, not the bad things you've done. It's a choice. How much stress and anxiety is from relationships that are bad? Ton of it. Do this simple thing and you get rid of a whole bunch of that stress, right? Remember the good, but he goes on. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. There are these programs that tell you how often something's underlined. Amazon has one for uh, a version of the Bible. This is one of the most top five most underlined verses in the entire Bible. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Number two, Paul says rejoice. It's a command. It's an imperative in the Greek. Twice he says it, in case we missed it. So what does rejoice mean? It can be this kind of fancy word. Here's what rejoice literally means. I printed out the actual definition. To enjoy a state of happiness. You can't do it angry. You can't do it upset. You can't do it stressed out. It is you are enjoying a state of happiness. I mean, I just don't think I can do that. I don't think that's possible. It's just not, you know. Okay, I'm going to say something, and then I'll try to prove what I'm going to say. You are as happy, enjoying a state of happiness, you are as happy as you want to be. Let me try to prove that. Science says this today. About half of your happiness is genetically coded into your brain. Some kids are just born happy. If you've had multiple kids, you know that. Some kids, they're just happy. Their brain releases the right chemicals and endorphins, and they just happy-go-lucky, right? Some people, their brains aren't built that same way. So no doubt about it. 
And then your brain does affect your body. You know that, right? If you are angry, what happens to your body? You get stressed and right, angry and shaking and all that. So no doubt. But we're finding the opposite. Behavior also affects the brain. Do you know that? There's this thing called epigenetics. Epi means over. And it's, this, it's the, the MC of your genes, epigenetics are. It tells like what genes to turn on because you don't use all your genes. So epigenetics, because of circumstances, whatever's happening to you, it will tell, let's turn these genes on, let's turn that gene off. They are the MC of your genome. Well, based on behavior, what I'm doing or what I'm not doing, what I'm eating, all that kind of stuff, what I'm experiencing, it can turn on or turn off certain genes. I'm going to try to prove this to you, that what you see and what you experience actually can affect you and your brain. So just look at these pictures, then I'm going to ask you some questions. That's my son. Yeah. That's a good one. What happened when you saw those pictures? Right. When you smiled, how did you feel? Isn't that crazy? Right? That just, what you saw affected how you thought, which affected how you feel now. Now you feel happy. That's the power, right? Your brain can turn on happy feelings simply by smiling. Try it sometime at home. Just smile. Just be like, for a long time and see what happens. Literally, your brain begins to produce the hormones and the chemicals associated with happiness. That's the power. When a kid is upset, what do you try to do to him? Get him to laugh. Why? Because he'll feel better. That's the amazing connection. Okay? So there, there's these things that are interesting to me. Um, one of them is called Mobius syndrome. Mobius syndrome is a group of people that were born without the ability to smile. The muscles didn't form whatever happened. Those people cannot experience the emotion of happiness. That's how connected the brain and the body are. The second one that I found that just fascinated me was there was these 10 people severely depressed, suicidally depressed. All of them had been in um, cognitive behavioral therapy or some kind of therapy to get them to think differently. Most of them were on some kind of prescription medication and none of it worked. One of them had been severely depressed for 17 years. So they took them, got, got, got them off all that stuff and they, this is all they did to them. They took Botox, that toxin that paralyzes the muscles, you know, to make it so you don't look like you're old. Well, they took that same toxin and they put it in the muscles of the face that make you frown. And they did that to these 10 people. It was astounding. Nine days later, or excuse me, two months later, nine of them were completely recovered and one of them was greatly improved. That's how connected the mind and the brain are, or the body is. What Paul is saying, thousands of years before any of this was known, under the inspiration of God's spirit, he says, listen, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. And he is saying this when he's in prison, chained to a guard, facing the death penalty. Enjoy a state of happiness, 
right? Now, I know this, and I talk to people all the time. They always want to say, well, my situation is different. You don't understand me. I'm the exception. I had things more dip, whatever it is, right? We all want to do that. Don't we? Nehemiah, great book. He heads to a devastated city called Jerusalem, destroyed by the Babylonians. Goes there, there's no wall, there's no defenses. Starts wanting to rebuild it. Has these people that live around it that say, we're going to kill you for doing that. The people are all into sin again. It's a bad, bad, bad situation. This is what Nehemiah says. It's Nehemiah 8.10. He says, the joy of the Lord shall be my strength. When do you need the joy of the Lord to be your strength? When everything's great? When you're good looking and your wife's a 10? When you got a Tesla plaid? When you got the job and the promotion and the raise, 78 degrees out, your uh, home remodel came in under budget and under time? Is that when you need the joy of the Lord to be your strength? No, it's when the city's burned to the ground. People are after your head. That's when you need it. It's the hard times. That's when you actually need to rejoice. And you need that strength. That's what he's saying right here, okay? You and I have this ability, God given to us, to choose to rejoice, even when we're in a prison, chained to a guard, facing a death penalty. That's what Paul's saying. That's the power of the brain. Choice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Rejoice. And then he adds on, verse six. Do not be anxious about anything. Rejoice, and again, I say rejoice, and do not be anxious about anything. You could make up a song. Don't worry, be happy, right? That's what that's saying right there. Don't worry, be happy. So I read through the Bible and I tried to find, like, what is a biblical worry list? And I actually made a list for you guys. You can take a picture of it if you want. Here's the biblical worry list. <laughs> That's it. Right? Be anxious for nothing. How do we do a, a biblical worry list? Are Christians good at that? Not really. I think most of us get an A plus in worry. Don't we? We worry about jobs and the economy and our kids and um, the social, political environment of America right now and the weather. It's not raining enough. It's raining too much. It needs to stop raining. It needs to get warmer. We worry about our in-laws. They be, seem like they're outlaws, right? We just go on and on about our health. How's 2023 going to be? Is the housing market going to crash? What's going to happen? Right? Don't we? How's church going to be? Right? Are we going to be in a traffic jam again? Right? Will Matt be funny? Will Matt be short? Probably not, right? We're always, we always just have this kind of mental thing that's always like, it's, it's like a clicker in the back of our head that's always just clicking through the things that we want to worry about. But the Bible says, be anxious about nothing. It's a command, again. Jesus, in talking about this, says the same thing. He says, don't worry. And the example he gives is a flower. He goes, look at a flower. Are flowers worried? You ever seen a worried flower? Right? Is the sun going to come up? Is it going to rain? Right? Am I going to be pollinated? Right? I'm starting to wilt. I need to pollinate. Somebody, where are the bees at? Come on, hurry up. I don't want to be a forget-me-not. Right? You've never seen that. And God says, because their heavenly father takes care of them. And you're so much more valuable. Be anxious for 
nothing. 92% of what people worry about is either in their past, they can't change it, or they can't control it, or it'll never happen, 92%. Only 8% of what you and I worry about is ever legitimate. It means 92% of all that time spent does nothing for you, but just kind of drives these deep grooves into your brain that you just fall into worry all the time. Be anxious for nothing. What do I do? Well, the Bible tells us. But in everything, these are massive terms, right? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, you won't think it out, guard your hearts in your minds in Christ Jesus. Be thankful, be prayerful. We need thanksgiving so much now because every human has what's called hedonic adaption. It means this, you get what you think you wanted and then a couple minutes later or months later or years later, it's not enough. We adapt to whatever we get. So you get the new house, it's great for six months, then you need a remodel. You get the new car, it's great until the 2023s came out and man, that grill on the GMC, I've got to have that one now. We all do it in whatever area it is, right? It might not be materialistic, it might be reputation, it might be, I don't know, status. There's, we just always adapt to where we're at. And the only way you fight that, the only way you reverse that knob, either it's gonna drive you just into the dirt or you'll re reverse it by one thing, Gratitude, gratitude. I talked to a guy this morning, he says, every time I flush the toilet, I say thanks. <laughs> Why? Because he's lived in third world countries. Yep. He's like, that is amazing, right? Like we take so much for granted. We have it so good. Gratitude, every one of us should have a journal that just says Thanksgiving on it. A great discipline is to wake up. One of the things that I try to do every morning is just wake up and get, spend five minutes just Thank you. And what happens to me, man, here's what science says happens to a person that expresses gratitude. You are happier. You have more energy. You're more hopeful. You're more positive for the rest of the day. You're more helpful to other people. You have higher empathy. You are less likely to get stressed, less likely to get angry, less likely to be anxious. That's amazing to me. All of that for one thing, being thankful. You will not find a better deal than that. All of that for doing one thing, just saying, wow, I'm thankful. But Matt, my life is hard, okay? Remember September 11th, 2001? The worst attack on American soil. If you were alive during that time, do you remember how you felt? In the aftermath, here's what they said in America. Two of the strongest emotions that people talked about that they said they felt. Number two was gratitude. Number one was sympathy. 
Something happened even in our crucible of difficulty. What came out of it was gratitude. Gratitude works. It changes us. It's powerful. We stop worrying. Worrying is like this. Worrying is a tug of war in your brain. You're fighting yourself. That's all you're doing. Tug of, or, or worrying is like this. You're, you're like the kid on the airline in the seat who thinks he's flying the plane. And if he stops flying the plane, it's going to wreck. You're not flying the plane. I'm not in control of those things. Quit flying the plane. Quit a tug of war. Stop it. How? With thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God. That's what you're supposed to do. To me, believers, sometimes we're nutty because we vent and we're stressed and we worry and we complain and we grumble and we don't give thanks and we don't do this and we don't pray. And then we think, man, Christianity just doesn't work. What? It's like going to a physical therapist and the physical therapist says, here's what you need to do every single day. Do these exercises, your injury, and then come back to me in a month. And you leave there and you never do any of the exercises and they're like, you know, physical therapy just doesn't work. What? You didn't do what he said to do. Or you get a car and you're like, never read the manual, never change the oil, never do the brakes, yet you never do any maintenance on it. Lights come on, you don't care, and it blows up. And you're like, man, those cars are pieces of junk. They just don't work. No, you're a bad owner, right? Christianity is brilliant. I just don't think we do it. We don't do it like it says we're supposed to do it. Just this simple thing right here. Look at these nine verses, right? Hey, remember the good. Remember how good Jesus has been to you. Never forget that. Remember the good in other people. Choose to rejoice. To enjoy a state of happiness. Just sit and smile for a while if you have to. Just do that. Practice that. And then be thankful and in your thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Because when you're thankful, you make the right requests. It's when I'm not thankful, I make really bizarre requests of God. But when I'm just thankful and being reminded of everything that God has been for me and who he is for me, guess what? It sharpens my requests to what are actually right. This is brilliant. And you know it, you know it if you've done it. Like this works. Well, Matt, if I'm not gonna grumble and complain and worry and stress, what am I gonna do with all my time? Verse eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is what you do. Not grumbling, not complaining, not stress, not anxiety, not worry. It's these things. What's true? Think about things that are true. I think every one of us needs to spend time fact-checking our own brains because your brain will lie to you. Do you know that? It will. So I do this often with people that are addicted and, and addicts will fail. And then they'll come to me and they're all disappointing themselves. And they're like, you know, I'm just terrible, whatever, this and that. I always stop them and say, hold on, time out. 
Hold on. Do you still believe in Jesus Christ? Yes, I do. Okay. Do you still wanna get set free from this addiction? Yes, I do. Okay. Do you still know that you can do all things through Christ that strengthens you? I do. Okay. Well, Proverbs 24, 16 says, the righteous man will fall down seven times, but he'll get back up. Get back up, go forward, right? New mercies right now, fact check our brains. It's what God does to Elijah. Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18 is suicidally depressed and in a cave. And he says to God, I'm the only one, no one's like me. And what does God say? No, there are 7,000 just like you. Get out of this cave and go get a buddy. He fact checks his brain. We need to think about things that are true. We need truth more than ever before because right now we have a government, we have entertainment, we have social media, and we have tech companies that have aligned together to lie to us. And they're doing it all the time. They lie. They say, Matt, you can, if you want to, believe that you're an 18-year-old female avatar and that's your truth and it's good for you. No, we need people that are saying, no, that's a lie. And this is what truth is. Think about things, number one, that are true. Number two, honorable. Who are the heroes of 2023? Aren't they celebrities now? Isn't that who gets kind of the honor and the place of privilege in our minds? It's, it's celebrities. I think Christians need to reclaim who we honor. And we need to go to Jim Elliott's, who go to the Harani Indians and gives his life for them. And his wife, Elizabeth Elliott, goes down to the person that killed her husband and sees them brought to Jesus Christ. Heroes. The Moses Halls who stood up to the Jamaican slave owners. The John Parkers who in the Titanic, when they're dying in the waters, take off their life jacket and give it to somebody else because they had not believed in Jesus yet. That's what we need to remember. The David Brainerds, the John Wesleys, there's incredible heroes of the faith. We need to honor them. And here's why it's really important because whatever a society honors is the direction they go. So if we're honoring dishonorable people, then we're gonna be dishonorable. Reclaim heroes. We'll read to our kids for years just these little missionary books on the heroes of the Christian faith. Honorable, just, and pure. Your thoughts pure? You know, there's a computer now. They came out with it a couple years ago. Through MRI and through learning AI, they can put it on your head and they can see what you're thinking and project it up on a screen. So Josh Cunningham, our IT guy, bought one. Anyone want to try it out this morning? Just throw it right up here. Pure. Pure. Matt, how do I get pure thoughts? You ever gone to the Merlin dump? I know the name has changed now. It's called the Josephine County Transfer Station, but I like the Merlin dump. Just sounds a lot better, the dump. Is it pure at the dump? Why is it the dump pure? Because it's open to anything. When your mind is open to anything, it'll end up like the Merlin dump. That's just what happens. We have to say, wait a second. I'm gonna selectively 
think about what I'm going to allow into my mind. Because if I allow garbage in, I'm going to be the Merlin dumb. Oh, Matt, it's hard though. I know it is, but there's an amazing thing about the human mind. It has an appetite and you can change its appetite, right? Anyone here right now, because of Christmas, really have a more uh, higher desire for chocolate, right? Why? Because that's what we've been eating. Higher desire for apple pie. Yeah, because that's what we've been eating. For ice cream. Why? Because it's what we've been eating. The mind is the same way. What you begin to feed it, it will begin to desire. Change the menu. And what you'll see is God changes your appetites. We've got to change the menu. What am I feeding into this thing? If I'm feeding in garbage, that's what I'm going to get out. If I start feeding in good stuff, God's word. Great way to start is right here. 2023. I'm going to read through the Bible. I'm going to do that. Man, that's a good thing to start putting in good stuff and see your appetite change. Pure, just, lovely, commendable. The King James puts good report. I like that. Because it reminds me of the story in Numbers 13, where they're going in the promised land and they send in 12 spies to go to the promised land. And they get in there and the land is good. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's beautiful. It's brilliant. It is the promised land. And they come back out and 10 of the spies, they bring a evil report. They're like, hey, man, it is a great land, but there are giants in the land. It's dangerous. And because they brought that evil report, look what happened in their own heads. It's numbers. Chapter 13, 33, verse 13, excuse me. So here's what they say. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, big dudes, who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seem to them. They shrunk because their opinion was so small. And guess what? Literally, they've shrunk from the pages of history. They could have gone down as the heroes of the faith, but who here can name one of the 10 spies that went in and brought an evil report? No one. Can anyone name the two that brought back a good report? Joshua and Caleb, when we name our kids after them to this day. Right? Good report. It's... Maybe like this. We can look at our city, our county, wherever you live, and you can choose to see all the giants. And we've got giant problems, no doubt. Homelessness, addictions. You probably read the study in Oregon Live this last week. Fentanyl deaths are up threefold from last year. Like just horrendous, right? Heartbreaking. And there's a, a really easy way to just get hopeless and like, ah, or you can be like, no, we got an opportunity in 2023. My prayer in 2023, this is what I wrote it down. I want 2023 to be the evangelism year for Josephine County, that the churches in Grants Pass see evangelism, souls being saved. That, that's what people need. You need Jesus. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Everything else is just a Band-Aid, Right? We can choose to say, no, this just means more opportunity. The darker times are, the brighter our light shine. That's good report. That's the way the book of Acts went. That's the way I want us to think now. 
Man, lovely, commendable. This is what I'm going to think about. And then lastly, excellent and praiseworthy. You can be a person that tells people the way it is, or you can be a person that tells them the way it could be. You know what Jesus was always doing to people? Elevating them. Simon, his name means shifty. Not the best name. What does Jesus change his name to? Peter, which means Rocky, Sylvester Stallone, Eye of the Tiger. Abram, which means father, was changed to Abraham, father of many. A massive, dignified title. Jacob, which means heel snatcher or deceiver, which he was. His name is changed to Israel, which means prevailer. Jesus told them how it could be. You know the power of that? So a couple of years ago, many years ago, 2016, uh, Phil Comer came down here and he does intentional parenting. Just a great guy, just fantastic human being, super wise and got to hang out with him for a while. And this is what he said to me. He said, Matt, the word on the street is you are one of the best dads and husbands in Grants Pass. And I'm like, oh, that's a setup. Now I'm going to fail greatly, right? And here, I know myself. I am at best average. I'm at best an average dad which still makes me better than half of you. That's what average means. So I'm okay with that, right? But just those words being spoke to me, here's what it's done to me. Now for, well, what is that? Seven years. Now I, in my head, everyone wants to all ask, what would a really good dad do right here? What would a really good husband do right here? Right, you live up to it. I have a saying, it's like, uh, you know how goldfish grow to the size of their tank? People do too. And when you believe in Jesus, we should be saying to people, you swim in the Pacific. You swim in the Pacific, right? That's it. Now unto him that's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think for his glory and for our joy. And that's how we tell people. We tell them not the way it is. That's easy. We tell them the way it could be. Excellent, praiseworthy, grow to the Pacific. This is brilliant, this is what you fill your mind with. This transforms you, right? And to help you remember it, you guys know this, I came up with an acronym. What's the acronym? Right there, the Jesuself. Helpful, huh? First letter of every word. And maybe for some of us, what we need is we need to just have verse eight on our screensaver. So when we look at our phone, that's what we're looking at. Is this the Jesuself? And what I'm going to do on this is it to just itself because I want this right here. Because Paul says this, after he's done all this, this is what he says. You got homework, verse nine. What you have learned, we just learned something, and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And here's the payoff. And the God of peace will be with you. We got so much anxiety and so much stress and so much worry and so much uh, tension. Twice Paul says, listen, if you're actively doing this stuff, remembering the good that Jesus has done for you in other people, rejoicing, making that choice. I'm gonna rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Crossing off my worry list. With thanksgiving, making my prayers known to God. Concentrating on the just self. Paul says this, here's what you get. The God of peace. He's gonna guard your heart. 
Anyone want God, the God of peace, guard in your heart? Man, I do. It's this simple. It really is. It's not that complicated. Practice it. Walk it out. It works. It's Christianity 101. Remember the good. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Pray with thanksgiving because it narrows your prayers and think about these things. It's brilliant. And I think you should do one final thing because it's what Jesus, our King, commanded us to do that we remember him. We come to the table and we come to the table. We remember the reason, not for the season, the reason for everything. That scripture says all things were made by him and by him all things consist. So my prayer for myself in 2023 has been this. Jesus, may I glorify you. May the next 365 days be my life bringing glory to you.